What's up, everybody? Welcome to Access. We're so excited to have you guys with us tonight. Come on. Thank you, Jesus. We're so excited to be here. As, uh, as some of you know, my name is Pastor Jared. I'm the pastor of our young adults community here at Access. The young adults community, Access is the young adults community of Resurrection Life Church. And we just, man, we are people, we love Jesus so much. We love his person. We love his presence. We believe that one encounter with him can change our entire life. And we are a community that is committed to equipping and mobilizing young adults in identity, evangelism, community, and the scriptures. So, so pumped to be with y'all tonight. So if you've been with us for any length of time, you know that we're in a year-long initiative called the His Initiative. It's an initiative focused on our identity in Christ, being rooted and established in that identity. It's based on the verse, Psalms 100, verse 3, which says, Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. So before we do anything for God, we must understand this reality that we belong to God. We are his. And we believe that as we behold the father, we find our belonging in him. And as we find our belonging in the father, we become like him. Behold, belong, become. That's what we're about at Access. So one of the ways that we uh, can establish our identity as people of God is actually by using our words to declare what God says about us. When God's word comes out of our mouth, it carries power to shape our identity and shape who we are. And so throughout the month of February, we've been going through this declaration together based off of 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. So we're going to make that declaration all together. If everyone would stand up with me, it's going to be coming up on the screen. You can read it after me. I'm going to read a line and then you can repeat that line after me. And as we say this, Every time we say it, we're just getting more and more rooted in who God says that we are. All right, everybody ready? Let's do it. I am a new creation in Christ. Jesus is the Lord of my life and I am in Christ. The old things in my life have passed away. I am not my past. I am not my mistakes. I am not my failures or successes. I am a new creation in Christ. Amen. Amen. Come on. Let's go. So, so good. Well, tonight we are super, super pumped and excited. We have a very, very special and near and dear to my heart guest preaching today. Not really guest, he's the pastor of our young adults here. He's been, he's been here for way longer than any of us have. It's been awesome. So, But would you give it up as he comes up? Pastor Nick Mayo is going to be giving a word tonight. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to act like you didn't just call me old. <laughs> This is yours. Thank you. All right. Well, welcome to the classroom tonight. If you guys know me, you know that this is my natural habitat. I just, uh, I'm bringing uh, a teaching that we do in the discipleship program. I'm bringing it to you guys. You know, and we, we stand here and we declare, right, rightly, that if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation, right? Behold, The old things have passed away and all things have become new. 
But if you guys have been doing this for any length of time, sometimes you might ask, well, if I'm a new creation, then why do some of the old things still kind of show up from time to time? Uh, so tonight, we're going we're gonna to look at patterns that develop in our life as to why uh, that might be, why these things kind of raise up in uh, how we might handle some of those things, right? Is that a good question to ask? Why, why do some of these things, why did, you know, Romans 7 where Paul's saying, I do what I don't want to do and I don't do what I wanted to do, you know? Like, why does that happen? And then how might we, how might we actually address that? What does it look like? Because uh, if you've also tried, you may have tried trying really hard uh, and it might work for a little bit of time, but it actually doesn't work for uh, a length of time. Amen. So I'm excited to be here with you guys tonight. If I can, um, this is going to sound maybe funny, but I'm actually not joking. If I could have a, a few people, uh, just throw your hands up and volunteer to intercede uh, during this time. Just a couple hands. Just want to, even if it's like three of you. Okay, perfect. Great. Uh, if you could be interceding, my voice has been going in and out uh, throughout the day, and I end up in coughing fits. I was sick last week, but it's just that, you know, that trailing on kind of thing. So uh, if you guys could just be interceding for me, right? And then if I go into a coughing fit, and if I pass out, then lay hands on me and pray for me, okay? <laughs> uh, but we will make it through. All right. So... Pastor Jared last week set us up well, and I'll, I'll recap a little bit where he went um, before, but I want to I throw a principle out that he actually talked about last week right at the, off the bat that I think is going to frame where we're going tonight quite well. And the principle, he, he quoted from Matthew 7 last time, but I'm going to quote from Matthew 12, 33, and this is Jesus talking. And he's talking about the condition of the heart and, and how sometimes the things that we call sin uh, it needs to be qualified a little bit. So what Jesus says here is make a tree good and realize when he's talking about a tree here, he's actually talking about the condition of the heart. He's using a visual analogy that we can, we can grasp in order to understand the inner kind of mysterious, invisible reality of our heart. So it says make a tree good and its fruit will be good or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad for a tree is recognized by its fruit. And he goes on to say, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up inside of him. An evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. So it's two verses apart, and he's talking about the exact same thing. So he says, just as though you have a, a pear tree, the pear tree is going to bring forth pears. And if it's a good pear tree, it brings forth good pears. If it's a diseased pear tree, it actually brings forth bad pears. You don't want to eat those pears, right? In the same way, <coughs> and you guys might have to be watching <laughs> to, to catch the, the coughs. So that way people listening on the podcast later on aren't like, whoa, okay. Like an earthquake. You also won't get apples off of a pear tree, right? In order to get apples, you need to make the tree an apple tree. And you go, well, that's impossible. Well, all things are possible for the Lord. In the same way that uh, the, the wickedness that rises up out of the inside of us, or the brokenness, we could also say, rising up out of the inside of us, uh, can be transformed by the Lord. So the principle here is, this is my beautiful tree. Behold. All right. 
so we, we tend to, to think of sin, right, if I, if I put some fruit at the end of the branches, right? Beautiful, yes. It's coming together, right? And this is like, let's put alcoholism, right? Pornography. It's a weird abbreviation, but we're going to roll with it. Uh, anger. We tend to call these things sin. Oh, I sinned. And, and we're right because it's, it's linked to it. But what Jesus is saying here, the, the principle that he's breaking down is there's a difference between the fruit and the root. Now, the two are deeply connected. But you can't just shake the end of the branches and have the fruit fall off and then go, oh, I'm a good tree. Because the next season that it bears forth fruit, it still bears forth what it is. And the principle he's saying is if you want to change the fruit, you have to get in and actually change the roots. You guys may have heard something like this before. And it sounds simple, but then how does that, how does that work? Right? What does it look like to take what I've known as, and honestly, like, we could be a saved tree but still have poor root systems. You get what I mean? And that's where that, that, that breakdown, the inconsistency, the the strange kind of ironic, like, wait a second, no, all things are made new. And then I did it again. That's how that happens. And Jesus is saying, yes, now that you are saved, now walk with me on a journey to where we can start doing some de-rooting and re-rooting, right? We could change the tree. And there's a principle in Scripture that we could look at that kind of talks about changing this aspect. And it's found in 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. Paul's talking here and he says, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh. Now, last year we did a, a, a I did a message on this and I, I went kind of a different route. And, and I, would, I would think that that would be a great message to hold in, in you know, conversation with where we're going today. So if you, if you want to dive deeper on this, you can look back on our podcast and just look for something of maybe strongholds or um, something. Listen to all of them and you'll find it somewhere in there. <laughs> hey, see what I did there? We got them. <laughs> Waging war according to the flesh. In that, that uh, message, I, I talked about a couple different ways that we did that. And one of the big ways is we try and exert our will. I just try harder to not do bad things, right, or sinful things, but that, that root system is still there. So it happens. For the weapons of warfare are not of the flesh, but this is where it switches. Paul's doing something amazing here. But have divine power to destroy, everyone say, strongholds. For the weapons of our warfare, because we're not waging according to the flesh, that'd be the old way of doing things, that's what we did in our former life when we weren't saved, redeemed, and sanctified and walking with the Lord. We had to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. That was the only thing we had. We didn't have a savior, right? But he says, no, now we're no longer doing that. Now our weapons are actually of divine power. You may have found yourself in a place where you're like, I can't do this. And he's saying, exactly. Like, 
Praise the Lord, you don't have to. You can partner with a, a larger power source. You don't have to try and pull yourself up by your bootstraps, which you realize is impossible, right? That's like saying, I'm going to pull my boots and then I'm going to lift myself up. I don't have the leverage to be able to lift myself up. I don't have the leverage to get me out of what I learned to do all of my life. I need the leverage of someone else. So we have the divine power to de destroy strongholds. And strongholds is the principle that we're going to talk about tonight. He goes on to describe strongholds. We destroy every argument, every lofty opinion. Other translations say lofty ideals, radical ideals that raise themselves up against the knowledge of God. There's God's knowledge, which we'll review here in a minute. And then there's the, the ideals that we've come to grab hold of that have raised themselves up against, and they say, that's cute, I'm going to do it my own way. And then in doing it the own way, we end up with all these, constantly ending up at the end of our branches. And he says this, and this is where we'll finish tonight, is we take every thought captive to obey Christ. That'll be ultimately the principle that we end up at. Uh, it's good? Yeah. Let me pray as we go into this. Well, Lord, God, we thank you. Jesus, we thank you for our encounter that we've already had with you tonight, God. It is such a privilege to be here as your body, as your church, as your ecclesia, not just playing church, not just uh, playing kingdom, but truly living into the reality that you have purchased for us on the cross. God, I ask that you would help to, uh, to make this a safe and trustworthy place tonight. God, that we would have hearts to receive uh, the scalpel of your hand to be able to open us up, to rend us, to do the work that you need to do in the inside of us, and then to mend us back together as uh, image bearers closer and closer to your image and likeness. That's why we're here. Holy Spirit, come. Have your way. We cannot do this on our own. Jesus, you said it in John 15. Apart from me, you could do nothing. So we take you at your word, and we're here to be with you, to abide in you, and have you abide in us. So God, we thank you, we love you, we praise you, and pray all this in Jesus' mighty name. Everyone said, amen. So like I said last week, Pastor Jared brought us through uh, the intentions that God has. When we go into uh, the word of God and we say, oh, what is life supposed to be about? And we have to start there before we could ever, our series right now is on sex and sexuality. But before we could ever get to, uh, to sex, we have to start off with life. God, what's your purpose for life? And then, uh, then from there flows your purpose for marriage. And then only then do we find your purpose for sex. And to recap, intercessors be praying. <laughs> I feel a coffin fit coming on. God's intention and design for life is to bear the image of God. <coughs> I added this part, through relationship with him. <coughs> we can't do it any other way, right? So it's to be image bearers of God. 
Genesis 1, 26 and 27, God made us in his image and likeness, male and female, to bear forth his image and likeness to the world, right? To give us dominion and power to go forth and be icons. This is what they would put up in temples, right? The pagan gods, they would have put a little thing there that would show their God. Christianity had no, no icon, no idol. We were the ones who were walking forward that as creation looked at us, they would say, oh, reveals the Lord to me. Like we, we look at creation, we go, wow, how grand is God? But if we ultimately had it in right order, creation would look at us and go, oh my word, I want to cry out. The rocks would cry out. Oh, you guys want that? I want that. It's God's intention and design. And he's offered it to us for us to step into. From there, Right after he creates man and woman, he then institutes the beautiful covenant vocation of marriage. That marriage has a beautiful design too because it came from the hands of a beautiful designer. That marriage would, would be that we would bear God's image and it expands through oneness despite difference. So you have male and female who come together. The two shall be bound together and become one flesh. Different but a beautiful unity despite their differences, coming together. And then self-sacrificial love, that as they come together, they are bound together by the movement of self-giving love. Husband lays his life down for the wife. The wife submits her life up to the husband. It's beautiful. And if you've ever seen it work well, you look at it and you marvel Good, healthy marriages, marriages that last 50, 60, 70 years in the Lord, you look at, and it makes you smile. Because <laughs> it bears forth the image of God. And then, only then do we get to sex. And sex has, it's, it's kind of a, a three-part uh, mini meaning, and we have to get it in the right order. This all, Pastor Jerry did this all last week, but to motivate self-sacrificial love, to bring that oneness together, right? That's what it does. And that's what a soul tie is, because it still does that whether you're married or not, and that's where a bunch of issues come out. Number two, from self-sacrificial love and oneness, then it bears forth a child within a culture of self-sacrificial oneness. Heaven is meeting earth. It's incredible. That's the vocation. We get it wrong so often. And then only then for pleasure. Right? So that's where we went last week. This week we said that we're we're talking about strongholds. So I want to say anything that competes with God's priority and definition in these areas is a stronghold in your life. Sorry, I didn't switch the... The slide there. Anything that competes with God's priority and definition for these areas is a stronghold in your life. So if you see those pictures, but you go in a different direction, that means that there's a stronghold at work in your life. Sometimes there's a difference between thoughts and beliefs. Do you guys realize that? Right? Scripture says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. It's distinguishing that there's thoughts that happen in the mind, then there's thoughts that happen and reside in the heart. And I could think one thing. I can think God's word is beautiful, it's perfect, and it's good. But then I could believe I have to do it on my own, and I run off in a different direction, even though my thoughts were trying to send me this way. 
It's as though we could have good thoughts, but that root system is still tied to something else. That's what the stronghold is. Is making sense so far? Strongholds are a wall of defense. That's the most simple definition of a stronghold. What is a stronghold? It is a wall of defense. You could picture like a castle gate, right? And you know, you think of uh, the stories in the Old Testament where you think of Jericho, right? Jericho had walls around the city. That, that's the stronghold to protect the city. That's what a stronghold is. Now, when we bring it over to our context, a spiritual stronghold is a wall of defense that we have built over time to protect developed thought patterns that we have come to believe. So it's a wall of defense that we have built over time to protect thought patterns that we have come to believe. Have you ever caught yourself saying, no, you don't realize, that's just the way it is. You ever said that? That's just the way it is. No, you don't know my story, right? That's a big one. No, you just don't understand. You don't know my story. That's a good sign of a stronghold being brought up, exposed. It's just always been like that. I don't think it will ever change, stronghold being brought up. Walls that have been built around a way that we have chosen to see the world, even if we didn't realize that we chose it. I just realized my sons were, were here earlier, and my son is almost, my oldest son is almost two years old, and he's running around, and he's gathering information. And I sit down to him, and I try and have talks with him, and I say, you can't punch your baby, baby brother in the face when you're excited, you know? And he just doesn't understand. <laughs> you know, like, words aren't computing to him, so he's not sitting here and, and like, formulating a picture of the world based off of what's being taught to him. No, he's gathering information based off of experiences that he's had. In our first five years of our life, we are, we are actually developing a primary movement of what our lens of the world will probably be for the next however long until Christ gets in and starts intermingling and, and kind of messing with our business. Five-year-olds have, have figured the world out now, we sit there and we look at a five-year-old and we say, you're not smart enough to have figured the world out. You don't know what you're talking about. But the issue is that five, you have no clue. At two, you definitely have no clue. So you just take it. You just eat up all the information and you make sense of all the things, right? So what happens is in our life, as these these walls of defense, how they build up, what happens is we have uh, something that we'll call an event happen in life. Can you guys see over here? Sorry. So an event that happens in life. Something happens, right? An example I give is a, a fake example. My mom was listening to a, a podcast episode like years ago, and I gave this example, and she called me up. She's like, did that really happen to you? I was like, no, a fictional example. Let's say, let's say I'm, I'm four years old, and I have a, a brother that's two years younger than me. I, that is true. I have a brother that's two years younger than me. But let's say it's his two-year-old birthday, and I'm four years old. And, and mom and dad get him birthday presents, and I get upset because I didn't get any birthday presents. 
It could be something as silly as that. Sometimes it's much more aggressive than that. Sometimes it's actual abuse that comes into a life. But we can even look at it at such a silly level. So I feel something in that moment. And, and we could call it pain. I feel pain. I feel like I was left out. Well, pain and fear, both of, this thing is a little tricky tonight. There we go. Pain and fear prepare the soil of the heart for deception and lies to take root. So what happens is as I experience that event and I'm, I'm trying to make sense of the world through this experience, all of a sudden the pain that I just experienced opens up the soil of my heart for voices to come in and start speaking. And, and at any given moment, you're being spoken to by a couple different voices. You, you hear your own voice, right? You're like, oh, that was stupid, you know, or whatever you're trying to say to yourself. Then you could hear the Lord's voice. Where he, he looks at you and he says, I love you. You're better than that. You can raise up. Let me help you. Right? We can hear the world's voice. Oh, that'll just always be how it is. You know, that's just the, the systems of the And then we could also hear the devil's voice. And I want to primarily talk about how the devil comes in. And the world does and ourself does. These are the three enemies of our soul. <laughs> our, our own voice, the world's voice, and the devil's voice. But let's just talk about the devil's voice. So all of a sudden, that event happens. Fictional event, right? My brother gets the birthday present. I get upset. Uh, and that the enemy comes in and starts spouting out something. What is he going to spout? What's the enemy talk about? What's his language? Do you know? What? Lies. Thank you. Brooke's on it tonight. All right. First Peter 5.8. Did it switch? There we go. Be alert and sober. I'm going to need another intercession group over this clicker, okay? No. <laughs> the voice is doing good. You guys are, are <laughs> lifting me up to the Lord. Now we need this clicker to be lifted up. Be alert and sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may... I love the way N.T. Wright says, seeking whom he may gobble up, right? Because he's British. All right. And then, yeah, that's how they say it. John, oh, no, don't go there yet. <laughs> You're praying a little too hard. Now it's working too good. <laughs> Jesus says in John 8, when he, Satan, lies, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar in the father of lies. So Satan comes in, I have pain in this experience. Satan comes in, he starts to spout out. And the issue is without spiritual discernment, right, especially as a, as a kid, without spiritual discernment, I start to buy into what he's selling, right? I start picking up what he's putting down. And I buy into a lie. So we have an event, that moves through pain, and if we aren't spiritually discerning, this is the beautiful thing, this doesn't have to be the cycle of our life forever, but this is how we have lived in many cases. A lie comes in, and I start to grab hold to that lie because it, it feels like it makes sense of reality. You realize like, Satan doesn't come in and give you like ridiculous lies. He gives you really good lies that actually, they, they feel like they make sense. 
Your parents don't actually love you. They gave your brother a birthday present. They didn't give you anything. Something as simple as that. You realize a four-year-old can grab hold of something like that. I think you're right. Well, because I don't feel loved, all of a sudden, I start to act out. Right? We act out what we actually believe at our core. That's what he's talking about right here. What you believe to your core, you act out. So I have, a, uh, this is a D, defense, or a comfort mechanism that I build. So I either, I take that line because I, I experienced fear and pain, and I don't want to experience what I experienced before again. I start to either defend myself or comfort myself. So now I, I move forward in this, this fictional example, and I think that mom and dad don't love me, so I start rebelling. I get angry. Well, if you don't love me, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just separate myself from this environment. I slam the door as I walk out, and I go into my room and sulk. Well, what happens is then that spurs forward a response from others. Four-year-old Nick just slammed the door, screamed at mom and dad because they didn't give me a present. And then my dad comes in and has a, a stern talking with me. Son, that's not how you act, okay? You, it's not your day for a present, right? This is your brother's day. It's his birthday. Now, are you going to come out and hang out? And all of a sudden, because I've grabbed hold of that lie, everything my dad's saying to me, I'm filtering through this new lens that I just picked up. And what does that start to sound like? Rejection. Dad's saying, no, you don't deserve a, a present. He didn't say that. But you realize that the lie can taint it that way? So all of a sudden, the event is perpetuated. <laughs> which then reestablishes the lie, which then reestablishes the defense. And you imagine if this starts at four years old, fast forward to I'm 10, and that's happened a thousand different times over that six years. Fast forward till I'm 20, it's happened a hundred thousand different times in micro ways. Uh, you know, somebody, I wave to somebody and they didn't see me and they keep walking and I go, Nobody loves me. The lie is being reinforced. So then I get angry and I, I'm short with the teller at the bank because of what happened down the street earlier, right? Like we start to build out these patterns that, that look like anger or, or if I'm trying to comfort myself, right? 16, 17 years old, I go, well, somebody's told me that alcohol helps. And I start drinking to start numbing because I'm believing that lie and it's just being reinforced, reinforced, reinforced. And I just go, this is my life. I don't want to feel it anymore. And this is what we would call anatomy of a stronghold. You see how when this happens time and time again and you get caught up in this cycle without discernment to realize that the enemy just got you to buy a lie hook, line, and sinker over time, that builds up to where it's a pretty big bundle of mess, and it might even look like a stronghold or a fortress built around something that you've come to believe. Now, why am I, why am I talking about birthday presents in the middle of a series for <laughs> sex and sexuality? 
Because you can imagine that exact same thing happening within identity. Right? If we ultimately see that, that in God's design for the human person, this is how he designed us, that sex is ultimately linked to marriage, that's ultimately linked to identity. So sex in an in a interesting way is linked towards how we view uh, God and his instance with us, and then how we view our relationships with others and its instance. With, like, it's all interweaved. So you start to, to take some of these events and you start to look at some of the comfort and defense mechanisms and you play it out over the long term and all of a sudden you start to get all those fruit at the end of the branches that look like sexual sin. Pornography, sleeping before marriage, lust, right? The, the imagination, just running wild, all these different things. We can, we can place all of those things in a defense and comfort mechanism. These are the sins that we've learned to take on, not because we want to sin, but because there's deeper things on the inside of us that we haven't dealt with, and that even sometimes we don't even know to deal with. We can't always, we can't always discover these things with a the fleshly means, like Paul was talking about. We need the divine means, the divine power in order to be able to search us and know us, oh God, like Psalm 139 says. That, that God can actually reveal things to us and help us to realize the pattern and in, in cycle that we found ourselves in time and time again. So <clears throat> I have a couple examples up here. Did kind of exactly what I did, but I put them up here. So example number one. The event is uh, rejection, right? Little Timmy is on the, the playground uh, at school, and he goes up and, you know, third grade, he's crushing on a girl. He goes up and he asks her if, you know, I don't know, what do you do at third grade if she wants to swing with him or something? I don't know, you know? Like, and <laughs> what's that? The snack? <laughs> yeah. You want to share a snack with me? Yeah. <laughs> You know, and, and her response is, you know, you know, because what did third graders do? I don't know. It's strange. So there's an event, a rejection that happens. And now little Timmy has experienced a pain. And again, without discernment, the enemy comes in and starts ta- talking to that pain and highlighting that pain. You know what? You're a loser, man starts to pick that up. Yeah, you know what? I'm a loser. Walking around the playground with a snack in his hand. (laughs) The enemy says, you're unlovable. And he goes, yeah, how can anybody love me? And all of a sudden he starts to, he starts to like wrestle through that. What does that look like? Well, now when you feel unlovable, you realize you want to you wanna experience love. Why does nobody love me? I just want to be loved. So all of a sudden, little Timmy starts to become really clingy, right? And there's other girls on the playground, and he starts to go up, and he's trying to hang out with them, and he's, like, invading their personal bubble because he's, you know, in his mind, he's going, I, I just want to know that I can be loved. I'm unlovable. And because he's so clingy, the girls on the playground do what? They react, and they distance themselves. They withdraw. And again, like I said, the, the cycle ends up all over again. 
Now, what might start off as clingy might turn into withdraw himself. A lot of times people experience rejection and they go, before anybody else can reject me, I'm gonna reject them, right? They put up boundaries and walls and not even boundaries, but just walls, right? They become real prickly, you know what I mean? Like you go up and you talk to somebody and they're just like really standoffish and you kind of go like, what's their deal? And you're like, all right, I'm not gonna talk to them. But in, in that I'm not gonna talk to them, it's reinforcing <laughs> the rejection. Example number two. Oh, oh. Conflict happens. Conflict. So you get to, uh, you get to high school, and you have a, a couple that's dating, and, and maybe this, let's put them in a, in a good Christian spot, right? They've, they've been able to abstain from sexual desire and different things like that. But then all of a sudden, conflict happens, right? Two worlds that are coming together collide. They, they argue over, you know, whatever. Who should have won the Super Bowl or something, you know? Something silly. Because it, it doesn't have to be huge. Sometimes it is huge. It could be an explosive conflict. Or it could be a subtle conflict. The enemy still peddles his lies. And, and the guy walks away, and he, he feels like a failure, I don't know what the, I don't, I I tried everything I could to resolve that conflict to get us to where we could be at peace, but she walked away and she was upset. And in feeling that, and in the the enemy coming in and starting to say, hey, you're a failure. No, you're going to continue to fail. As a failure, you're looking for some sort of means to where you can feel a semblance of success. And all of a sudden, a buddy's talking about pornography on, online. And you go, they're like, it's amazing. And all of a sudden, the, the high schooler starts traveling down that means and finds, hey, there was a momentary movement of where I felt like I was the man. But then you fast forward, and you get into a serious relationship in you know, college or afterwards and you're engaged to be married and all of a sudden you've built this comfort mechanism of, of masturbation and pornography years before and, and you're, you're in a pre-marriage meeting or you're, you're coming up on to, to a movement like that and not, it's like, I need, to, I need to bring this out. I need to talk about this. And there's disappointment naturally, but disappointment feels a lot like failure, which perpetuates And you might be able to remove the defense. You might turn to something else for a season, but you realize that you haven't actually fixed the issue. Is this making sense? Like there's there's a million different examples that I could put up there. And and some of the examples might feel personal. It's not personal. (laughs) Any of these examples, there's bound to be somebody out there that's like, no, you just, you hit it to a T. Because this is the cycle when we have no discernment, and when we haven't learned how to partner with Christ in this area. I'll give you one more. If any of those, those examples felt like a, a punch to the gut, this is, this is my life. So the event of rejection, there was multiple events of rejection before this, but the big one was back in 2010. I was married, uh, got married in 2010, and actually it was 2011, I don't know, just timeline, <laughs> years ago, 2011, uh, that 
that marriage started crumbling. I mean, it was like within four months <laughs> of being married. You know, we got married for a really good reason because we like to have sex together. And uh, she was going into the Navy and they'd move me to where she was going. I wasn't a Christian at the time. <laughs> uh, and shortly after, because of the, the movements that we had built up into our marriage, even prior to marriage, um, she was in the Navy at this point and reaches out to me from uh, the ship. She was on deployment. And she says, hey, um, I've actually slept with somebody else on the ship. I turned myself in. I'll never do it again. And she sends it to me in an email. Uh, well, fast forward six months, and she just starts sleeping around on the ship. All right? She's in a cycle like this. You know, I, It was actually when I, when I learned this tool that I actually was able to have deep compassion and forgive because I go, she was caught up in the same cycle I was caught up in. It just looked a little bit different. But that was definitely a rejection, and I felt like a failure as a husband. I was trying everything I could. I came to Christ in the middle of that. Like not, not that I was trying. The Lord broke into my story. And then I was pursuing, trying to, to mend the relationship. I was like, no, I want this to work. I want this to work. And ultimately, she files for divorce. Well, you, a guy starts to carry that in his being. Even though I was walking with Christ... The enemy had plenty of a playground to start sowing lies and deceits inside of me, and I start feeling like a failure. So now the relationships that I started up after that, anytime I would start to feel like I was a failure, I would literally run away. And when I say literally run away, like Emily and I were engaged, and we, were ended, up, we ended up in just kind of a, a disagreement in the car, and she was driving, and uh, we pulled up to a stop sign, and in that moment, this, like, this gut, like, wrenching feeling of, here it is again, you're failing. You haven't even been married yet to this woman, and you're already failing her. And I literally got out of the car, and I ran into, like, Domino's parking lot. <laughs> Worst place to run. There's nothing, you know, like, middle of the night, like, all right. And then I threw my phone. I also had a, a poor habit of throwing my phone, not at anybody. I just wanted to break it to punish myself. It felt like comfort in the moment. <laughs> Later on, it felt like a big bill to have to replace my phone. So in running away, like Emily pulls up the car. <laughs> you know, she's in Domino's parking lot now, and she's like, what are you doing, you know? So I have to get back in the car, and I sit down. And now because, because I was acting out in this protection mechanism, poor protect, like all of you are looking at me going, that was a terrible protection mechanism. Like, that's a stupid comfort mechanism. Yes, I know. But it was what was ingrained into me. It, I, I learned it somewhere along the line, and I just started picking it up, and it started ramping up. And because I, I ran away, you realize that there's some insecurities that come with Emily on that. She's like, what is my, this is my fiancé, and he just gets out of the car and runs into Domino's parking lot? Like, what is he doing? And so now she's closing down. She goes, I don't know if I could trust you. Well, when she closes down, what does that feel like? Failure, rejection. And we worked through it that night. You know, we have a long conversation. And then three months later, I'm running into like pizza parking lot or something. I just, I, just, I, I wanted pizza all the time. I don't know. Right? It's funny now because the cycle has been broken. Right? Is this, is this sitting with you guys? Yeah. 
So an event happens, pain and fear experienced, Satan starts to sell us a lie. We buy into that lie, we grab it, even if we don't know it's a lie. We start to build these defense and comfort mechanisms, we start to interact with other people, which then start to break that, or to perpetuate that cycle. There is a way of breaking the cycle, and that's what Paul's talking about in 2 Corinthians. So I wanna get to that point to where we, we talk about what does it look like to break a stronghold? And, and I'll put it back up here in a different way. See if you guys could see the, the blue. Because you go, okay, there's, there's a lot of movement in here and a million different things can end up in there. So we'll just break it down into the three kind of main components that we have something to interact with. The event, the lie, and the defense. You could also put comfort up there. It's up there on the screen. Each of these different areas, we have a way that we get to interact with the Lord, right? So 2 Corinthians 5, or 10, uh, 3 through 5, it says that we, we are not waging war th- according to the way that the world wages war. We are fighting with divine power to demolish strongholds. And we are attacking every lofty ideal, every lie that tries to raise itself up against the knowledge of God. And we bring everything captive to the obedience of Christ. This is the key point. In January, we went through and we talked about what does it look like to, to move and step with the Holy Spirit and to be in dialogue with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? What does it look like to pray, both to intercede, but then to pray God's will, to pray and relate to him? Well, then we bring that into something like this, that we cannot break the stronghold on our own. We can't break it at all. We need to bring it to the Lord, So with the event, there are times when, and we're going to do an activation here in a little bit, there are times where you go, okay, I I know what's on the end of the branches. I, I have these kind of besetting sins that are showing up over and over and over again. I know my aggravation points. Well, you could start there and you could talk to the Lord about that. Then he might bring you back to the lie. And then ultimately, sometimes he brings you back to the event and you find out where it originally happened or at least a, a place where it happened early in life. And, and when you get to that place and I, I go back and I, I see, you know, my brother getting the birthday present. Uh, the thing that I do with the event is I forgive Like part of that, when I move forward in pain and I partner with a lie, it's also meaning that I have not forgiven, that I've actually moved forward in unforgiveness. And I've linked it to that place. And then there's a million other places after that. But if if the Lord brings us to an event and shows us, hey, this happened in your life that started a cycle like that, you just, you forgive. Whoever did it, you forgive. Even if it doesn't make sense to forgive, you forgive. And then you release it to the Lord. Lord, I, I forgive, you know, that kid on the playground for denying me, you know, or, or rejecting me and being cruel or whatever it might be. I forgive and I release it to you, God. I put it in your hands. Then when you get to the lie, we renounce and replace the lie with the truth. Lord, would you show me, is there a lie that I'm believing? That's a question that we'll ask here in a minute. Is there a lie that I'm believing And when the Lord shows us a lie, even if we, ah, I don't believe that, just just trust the Lord. (laughs) 
<laughs> just go with it, you know? Like, is that really something? That's so silly. Why would I believe that? I'm telling you, there's far, like, most of the lies are silly. <laughs> most of them, you would look at it and go, no, that's not it. But you believed it at your core. And you built such a stronghold that you can't even see it anymore. Now it's just the operating system that you're working from. So if the Lord brings it up with you, you go, okay. I renounce that. I no longer partner with that lie. Satan, you take your lie back to the pits of hell where it belongs. And Jesus, I receive from you what is the truth. And that will look both like word, but then also word. The presence of Christ is also truth, right? He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Sometimes you might not have an answer for what the truth is, but you have the person that you can walk hand in hand with. That's replacing the lie. Many times it's, I love you. That's the truth. And you might even know the truth. But you haven't walked forward knowing it here. And now's an opportunity to be able to say, I throw out what I was carrying here. And I take what you have been saying to me here. And I allow you to put it here. And then you stand on that truth. There's going to be plenty of opportunities after (laughs) this moment to buy back into the lie. Or to buy a different lie. And you go, I'm not buying any vowels, okay? No more lies. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm standing on what Christ has shown me and what he's working out in me over time. Even if the next day you end up right back where you were two days before that you were aggravated on, you go, it doesn't matter. That's not who I am. I am walking with Christ and I'm believing that your truth is the truth for my life. And then the comfort and protection. That sin pattern that we've, we've learned, the fruit at the end of our branches, if it's anger and you go, oh, okay, I just burst at the seams far too often, you realize that you're trying to protect yourself from rejection or from you know, wounding, and, and that's the way that you've learned. If I can be explosive in my anger, other people walk back and I won't get hurt by them. Well, you're relying on your own self. And the issue is when you are relying on yourself to be savior of your life, the Lord has no ability to actually walk in and do the things that he's looking to do. Because you said, no, God, I'm taking your seat. You take the back seat, okay? And the thing here, this looks a lot like dying to self. The thing here is we repent. We go, okay, oh, My porn addiction uh, was actually me trying to be Lord of my life and actually meet my own need on my own. Uh, Lord, I am so sorry. That was wrong of me. That's not how you made me. You made me to trust that you are protector and you are comforter. And if the lie was, I'm rejected all the time, nobody loves me, then I go, God, I also trust that, that you love me. And that you're speaking to, to that area and that your truth is true and having its way in my life. And now when I walk forward and I, my, my thought process goes, oh, you need that old defense mechanism. Oh, you need that old comfort mechanism. I say to myself, I encourage myself in the Lord, no, I'm done relying on you as protector. I'm done relying on you as comforter. And I rely wholly on the Lord. And then you sit there and you sweat, you know. Chances are, like, that'll probably be it. You probably want to go find something else to do. But, um, but as you're doing something else, you're also trusting that the Lord is going to be your comforter and protector. 
And the beautiful thing is, as you work through this a couple times, you start to build deep relationship with the Lord. And now every, everything that's trying to set you up for that sinful behavior is actually now an invitation into the presence of God to be renewed in his truth, to see his picture over your life, to be loved by and comforted and protected by the one who made you, the one who spun all the galaxies into existence, the only one who can comfort and protect you in the way that you need. And you get a year down the line and your life will look quite a bit different. It won't look perfect, but it will look quite a bit different. You get five years down the line and all of a sudden you'll start to realize, wow, the fruit at the end of my tree seems like there's still maybe some bad fruit, but there's some good fruit spout, or like, you know, um, sprouting up. And you go on a journey with the Lord over time, and that's what Paul's talking about here. Divine power to demolish strongholds and then to walk in step with the Spirit. We take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. So, uh, if you would, actually, is Landon in here? What? Kylie, oh, great. Kylie, if you could do some keys for us. We're going we're gonna to put this to practice. And the, the thing I want to say here, as I, I walk you through some of the, the tool here, is uh, it's not about the tool. Don't get hung up on like, okay, am I, am I supposed to be talking about the lie right now, God? Or am I supposed to be talking about the offense? Or, like, it's not about the tool. The tool's just showing what's going on in our life. The point of this exercise that we're gonna go into is to press into the Lord and to allow him to do what he wants to do. We're gonna trust that God is who he says he is. That he shows up and he's gonna, he's gonna make things right in our life. And this isn't a one-time fix. This is, this is literally a journey that I'm trying to walk you into that you can carry forward as you go into the rest of your life, that you would walk in step with the Spirit, that you will not gratify the desire of the flesh. That's another way Paul's working out what we're talking about here. So if you would, just close your eyes. If you have your journal, I, if you do have a journal, I want you to pull your journal out because it helps when you hear from the Lord to just jot down what you're hearing. Once you get settled into your spot, I just want you to close your eyes. And if you never felt like you've heard God's voice before, it's pretty simple. The way that you are hearing my voice right now is that you are sitting there and listening. You're not trying really hard to hear my voice. You're not mustering up my voice. You're simply sitting and listening and receiving. And the Lord is here and he wants to speak to you. And the way you hear from him is you ask him a question, then you sit and wait and see what he says. I want you to take a, just kind of an examination of your life and the uh, Maybe the repeating patterns that have shown up, those, those kind of, those reoccurring sins that you're like, 
why, why have I not been able to get rid of this, God? And I want you to bring that to the Lord right now. And just ask him about it. Ask him about it. Say, Father, am I using this to protect or comfort myself? You might even ask, how am I using this? How have I learned to use this to protect and comfort myself? And just see what the Lord says. There's not any condemnation in the Lord's voice in this. If there's condemnation coming in, if you feel like gross because of the, the words that are coming in, it, it could very well be the enemy trying to, uh, to attack you. God's here to help. I want you to ask, Father, is there a lie that I've been buying into? Is there a lie that I've believed that has sent me forward in trying to protect myself and comfort myself in this way? What's the lie that I've been believing? And if you have your journal, when you hear something, you write it down. What's the lie that I've been believing? Just ask, God, where did that lie begin? Where did that lie begin? And realize if the Lord brings you to a traumatic experience that you had that started into to kind of making the ground for that lie to come in, he's not bringing you there to experience hurt, pain, and discomfort. He's bringing you there because he wants to heal it. He wants to heal you.
if he brought you back to a, a, an event earlier in your life that spurred forward a, a lie, I want you to just ask him, God, where were you in that event and how were you protecting and comforting me in that moment? Where were you in that event and how were you protecting and comforting me in that moment? One of the beautiful things about the Lord is we cannot go back and change the events of our past, but we can, we can receive a different picture of how, how we can experience those and to realize that the Lord has been with you ever since you were conceived. Right to Jeremiah, he says, I, I formed you, I knew you. I know the plans that I had for you. David says, he knit us together in our mother's womb. He has been with us since the beginning. He has never left you. He has never forsaken you. So in the traumatic experiences of our life, we can actually rightly see them. Not that it means that it was any less traumatic, but it does mean that we could rightly see them, that God was there with us. And he was wooing our heart, comforting us and protecting us, even if we didn't see it in the moment, even if we haven't seen it for years. He can give us a picture of what that looks like. If there's an event that he brought you to, I, I just want you to go through and just forgive. If there's anybody that wronged you in that event, just forgive. If you don't know who it was, maybe somebody hit you, you know, like in a car accident or something like that, and you're like, I don't know who it was. They, were, they drove off. Just forgive. It's okay. There's no use carrying that on anymore. It hasn't served you well at all. And release it to the Lord. It's not saying that what they did is okay. It's just saying, I'm not going to hold on to it anymore. It's bearing forth bad fruit. It stinks. Get it out of here. Now, if the Lord showed you a lie that you were believing... Your first step is you just agree with the Lord. Yes, I believed in that lie. And then you renounce it. And you say, God, I choose to no longer believe in this lie. That's the right movement of our will is we choose to no longer believe in the lie and we choose to take Christ at his word. That's where our will is put at its best effect. I will not carry that lie on any longer. But here's the kicker. We can't just throw the old lie away. We need to ask God for the truth. God, I choose not to believe in the lie. What would you say to me? What is the truth that you have for me? 
good thing to say to the Lord is I'll receive it. I'll receive your truth. You can even ask if his truth is coming across as kind of like, you're like, I don't know if I could believe that. You can ask him, God, what would it look like if I did believe that? <laughs> what would that look like if I believed you at your word? The truth that you just gave me, what would it look like if that was true in my life? And just allow him to give you a picture. Allow him to capture your imagination. It's far better than allowing the enemy to capture your imagination, which he's done for far too long. That enemy, he's a bastard. He's fatherless. He's been meddling in your business for far too long. And you have a good, good father who's trying to give you truth and life and goodness. So you renounce the lie and you grab hold of God's truth. And now we go back to that place of protection and comfort, those mechanisms that we've learned in our life, whether it be pornography or anger or alcoholism or promiscuity or whatever it might be. And you go, God, I repent. I've, I've been trying to do it on my own and it's, it's led to this. And I realize that these are not helping me these aren't actually protecting me. These aren't actually comforting me. And then you say, Holy Spirit, would you show me what it looks like to be my comforter? Father, would you show me what it looks like? Show me, give me a picture of what it looks like for you to be my protector. How do I leverage your protection moving forward? How do I rely on your comfort moving forward? Again, this isn't us working it up, trying to figure out what the next step is to do. This is us trusting that the Lord is going to do what he's promised us he would do. Walk with us, guide us. This is called walking with the Spirit. Romans 8, Galatians 5. And you say, God, I receive it. I take you at your word. I receive your comfort and your protection. And this is where we'll, we'll finish this portion. Even if you felt like you went through that whole thing and you're like, I don't know what it looks like to hear God's voice. I don't know. Did anybody hear any, you know, whatever's going through your mind. And realize we want our spiritual discerners up because this could also be an event that the enemy's trying to give us lies to. God doesn't speak to you. Recognize that's a lie of the enemy. <laughs> don't, 
don't let it build the, the stronghold. You can grab it right now and, and just smack the enemy in his face. Um, I like to do that every now and then. But I want you to get a picture. So close your eyes again. This is, the Lord gave us our imagination in order to be able to interact with him and commune with him. And I want you to picture Jesus Christ standing in front of you the smile on his face. Just get a picture of Jesus standing in front of you with a smile on his face. Don't get caught up on what he looks like if it's like Jonathan Rumi or, you know, like, you know. It's okay. Just get the picture of Jesus before your mind. He's smiling at you. And one of the things I was feeling as I was interceding for tonight is that that Christ just has a gift that he wants to give to you. And I want you to picture he's raising his hands up in front of you and he has something in them. He's offering it over to you. Would you receive it? What is it? Jesus, what do you want to give me? Jesus, what do you have for me? I encourage you, if you're not a journaler, if you haven't made that a practice in your life, tonight would be a great time to start, even if it's just on your phone, pulling up the notes app. And just record what what it is that you encountered with the Lord tonight, what he did, what he showed you, what he gave you, what you gave to him, what he took away from you. Like, just record that. This is a testimony with the Lord. And nurture that. Come back to it. Look back on it and remind yourself of the truth that he gave you. If he showed you a picture of of what it looked like for him to be in that event with you, that experience, maybe it was trauma, maybe it was whatever it was, if he gave you a picture, try your best to write it down. And cherish it, treasure it. And then go back to it when your, your body is starting to rise up and try and buy into lies again. Go back to it and stand on the truth. And I'll, I'll say it again that it's not about this tool. This tool is helpful. It's, it's, not, it's not like, oh, they, this is dogma. You know, you need to go forth and you need to preach this tool. No, not, nothing like that. Go forth and preach the gospel of Christ. This is just a part of that. Right? And you don't need to know the right questions to ask. I don't have a list of questions that I was like, okay, ask him this and then this, then this. No, if you just look at the tool and you look at what you're supposed to do, you come up with questions. I was just coming up with them as we went, just going, okay, this is, this is what brings us to the Lord. If we ask him this question, he will show up and he will respond because he's good like that. I want you to realize up on the screen it says, this takes time. 
continued to walk it out with the Lord. So you just renounced the comfort mechanism. You're like, no more pornography from here on forward. If tomorrow you get to the end of an act and you go, what am I doing? I thought we just had access last night. and I... This takes time. Stand true on the truth of God. Walk in the Spirit. Walk with Christ. Bring it back before Him. And continue on forward. He will do the renovation work in your heart. Okay? This is not a self-help. This is a God help me. I'm helpless without you. You can do nothing apart from me, Jesus says. Is this all right? I, uh, I want to pray us out. Are we going to go into or community groups? or No, okay. If we did, I was going to give some caveats towards it. But, Well, Father, God, we just thank you. God, we thank you for this precious time in your presence. We thank you for what you've shown us, what you're doing in us, God. We thank you that we truly have uh, the divine power, that we have you. We are walking with you, God, and we choose to no longer comfort ourselves and protect ourselves, but we receive it from you. Would you help us? Would you lead us? Would you guide us? Would you continue to show us your mercy and empower us to walk this out in your grace? Jesus, you are so good. It is for freedom that you set the captives free. Holy Spirit, you are glorious. Empower us. Set us aflame to move in your direction. And Father, we thank you that we are children and co-heirs with Christ in you. God, that we have an abundant, overflowing, unceasing access to love, to peace, to joy, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and even self-control. God, you are the one who is making the tree a good tree. So have your way in our lives. We love you. We praise you. Pray all this in Jesus' mighty name. Everyone said, amen. Thank you, guys. Amen.